I'm Nancy Cavey, National ERISA and Individual Disability Attorney. Welcome to Winning Isn't Easy. Today, we're going to talk about disability employment law issues with my special guest and dear friend, Marcus Castillo. I'm often asked, how should you tell your employer that you're applying for disability benefits? How should you ask for FMLA and how long does it last? Can my employer fire me? What happens to my group insurance? These are many questions that both Marcus and I get, and we will have answers for you today. But before we get started, we've got to give you a legal disclaimer. This podcast isn't legal advice. The Florida Bar Association says that we have to say it, but nothing will prevent us from giving you the answers you need. So off we go. Marcus, welcome. It's great to have you here today. Can you tell us about yourself and how you became an employment law attorney? Sure, sure. And it's a pleasure to be here. And uh, so here's a bit of my story. Uh, I have been an attorney since 1983. Uh, the first 10 years of my practice, I uh, first uh, worked in a small, what lawyers like to call boutique firm, trying cases on behalf of plaintiffs, the, the persons bringing the case. Then I shifted over for three and a half years to the defense side, which actually was invaluable because it taught me a lot about the defense mindset. And uh, I did that for, uh, as I say, a, sp a spell of time. And then around that point in time, I was ready to set out on my own or at least with a partner. And it just happened that in that same time frame, again, the, the 90s, uh, Congress and the legislature were busy passing a number of critical employment laws that uh, radically changed the landscape of uh, employment litigation. Um, for instance, they passed uh, the Civil, Right, uh, Acts, Civil Rights Act amendments, which for the first time allowed for jury trials in employment cases. Uh, also allowed were recovery of emotional distress and punitive damages. And we also saw Congress passing the Americans with Disabilities Act and the Family and Medical Leave Act. So uh, I viewed this as presenting an opportunity to help people in a different way. So I moved in a new direction and began taking those kinds of cases on behalf of employees. Um, and, and then while continuing to do this work, I saw that there were also uh, opportunities to help folks in the employee benefits uh, arena. So, you know, as you uh, do as well, got into the ERISA realm, although I no longer do the long-term disability because, you know, you occupy the field, you're, you're so good. I focus on you know some of the subspecialties like life insurance and um, accidental death in that arena, but uh, you know it's a mix between employment and ERISA and other forms of trial work, and uh, that's a little bit about me. Well, great. So I want uh, to tap into your expertise in employment law. So tell us generally what do clients need to know about employment law as it relates to their disability insurance claim. You know, so first, what folks need to know is that there is an overlap between employment and disability law. And what I've seen in my own career is that folks would come to me with a situation where they're getting harassed at work, they have a medical condition, uh, but, you know, there's the, this notion that, that maybe uh, it would be better if they go on short or long-term disability. And so what we have here is sort of the intersection between the ADA and uh, you know, disability law. And, and it's kind of a tricky sort of tightrope walk because under employment law, we have the Americans with Disabilities Act, which you know, says 
that if you are a qualified individual with a disability, and that's an important phrase, which I'll touch upon some more here, um, you have the right at the standing to bring a lawsuit if you're being discriminated against on the basis of your disability. Okay, but but the issue is indeed, are you a qualified individual with a disability? Which means, which means that you, despite your condition, can still do the job. Uh, perhaps you'll need an accommodation, a reasonable accommodation. I need to underscore, but at least you could do the job. Um, if you can't do the job even with that accommodation, then that's when the disability law starts kicking in, when ERISA starts kicking in, and and one should be looking at short-term or long-term disability as a more viable option. So, you know, that's a little bit of a uh, of an overview, an oversimplification, if you will, but there's a huge intersection between the two. So I'm often asked, well, how should I tell my employer that I'm applying for disability benefits? Because I'm afraid I'm going to get fired uh, or I'm going to lose my benefits. So what advice do you have to clients in response to that question? Well, the first thing I would tell anybody is look at what you've been provided since you've worked there. Uh, most importantly, look at your employee handbook. Um, look at your benefits books and inform yourself. You know, look in the employee handbook to tell you whether it gives you a protocol as to who you're supposed to talk to about applying for disability benefits. I mean, it may be in the benefits book, but first be armed uh, to know what, it, in fact, your rights are. Um, also, when you're looking at that, you know, you need to come to terms with what um, your own doctors are going to say. And I know you speak to that at length in your own practice and when you counsel you know, folks, but it's something you need to know. You need to know that not only from the disability law standpoint in terms of your disability benefits, but back to what I was saying a few minutes ago, you need to know whether or not you would be a qualified individual with a disability if you choose to stay there, because you're going to have to be one to sue for disability discrimination. So in essence, what I'm saying to you is look at your manuals, uh, inform yourself, Take a hard look at your own medical situation and then do what the manuals say. If they're not clear about it, go to your HR or your benefits department and put them on notice that, you know, you're interested in making a claim. And they should uh, cooperate and give you the information in the forms you need. So how much information do you need to give them about your medical condition? Should you bare your soul or just say, you know, I'm, I'm, my doctor's told me to stop working and I need to apply for benefits? I mean, I think... My personal belief is you don't need to bare your soul. I think the appropriate thing to tell them is that you need to look into applying for benefits, that you have some medical conditions that are concerning. And then that becomes a matter between you and the disability insurance company in large part, at least as far as applying for disability benefits. So are they going to share information? I get that question all the time. Is that HR person going to go to my supervisor and tell them I'm applying for disability benefits? You have HIPAA protections, which should protect that kind of disclosure. You know, HIPAA laws, as you may or may not know, uh, make private your, uh, you know, your health information. I mean, at some point, your health information becomes possibly relevant if you choose to pursue a claim for, you know, disability discrimination. And yes, your health information may become relevant to the extent your employer may have to fill out some questionnaire for the disability claim. But at the point we're talking about here, you know, looking into it, it's not their, the details are none of their business. So um, 
should I be applying for FMLA and how long does it last? That's another question that uh, we get. Should I be doing that in conjunction with my short-term disability application or, or um, does my employer require me to do both? What's, what's your answer to those kinds of questions? Sure, sure. So maybe some basics uh, you know, would be in order here. So the FMLA, for those of you that may not know, is, uh, well, first, FMLA is an acronym for the Family and Medical Leave Act, which was passed by Congress in the early 1990s. And basically, it's a law that uh, protects employees who've been at a company at least for a year where that company employs 50 or more employees. And what it gives you is up to 12 weeks of protected job leave during a calendar year. Uh, now, that um, leave can be taken either in a big chunk or it can be taken intermittently. And for the purposes of what we're talking about here, there's various forms of leave. There's a military form of leave. There's a childbirth form of leave. But we're talking here in this context about leave for a serious health condition. So to answer your question, should you apply? You need to reckon with the, the question of whether or not you have a serious health condition. And if you do, then you know you may well be entitled to leave and there's a process for that. So Marcus, you and I both know that most short-term disability uh, benefits are as uh, short as three months, as long as six months. So if someone uh, is applying for FMLA, um, depending on uh, how long that short-term disability plan is, they're possibly going to run out of FMLA at the point in time when their short-term disability benefits expire. What impact does that have, if any, on their uh, their job at the employer's place of business? And what interaction, if any, does it have with the LTD claim? Right, right. A couple of things to talk about here. First off, you know, the way it usually works is that while FMLA itself, at least in the way the law stated, it, it, protects one, uh, you know, and it's a form of unpaid leave, the short-term disability sort of overlaps on top of the FMLA leave to provide paid leave. Now, the question you're posing is what happens at the end of FMLA leave if you still can't go back, back to work? And, and the answer to that is it's very, very possible you may lose your job. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add a wrinkle to that and say that under the Americans with Disabilities Act, there is this notion that you might be entitled to a little bit more leave after the 12 weeks end if you can show that that's close-ended and that it's a reasonable accommodation to give you a little bit more leave beyond the 12 weeks. But that's a case-by-case -case sort of case-by-case -case basis sort of thing. But this underscores the reason why if it's going to be um, a, a serious health condition requiring you to be out of work for more than 12 weeks, you start looking at short and long-term disability. I mean, you're in fact on short-term probably if you're on FMLA leave. You may indeed be, need to be looking at long-term and what the long-term disability pol policy requires you to show. All right. Well, that's great information. Let's take a break for a moment, all right? Sure. Welcome back to Winning Isn't Easy. I'm here with my special guest, Marcus, my employment law buddy. So another question that I get all the time is, well, can my employer fire me because of my disability insurance claim? Okay, well, that's a good question. 
And the answer isn't simple. I mean, let's let's be clear about what the question really is. Can can my employer fire me solely because of my legitimate FMLA claim? The answer is absolutely no. You know, if the question is, can my employer fire me solely because I have a uh, disability? The answer again is absolutely not. But we have to really frame the question, and and we have to first figure out on the Americans with Disabilities Act side. Are you, as I've talked about before, a qualified individual with a disability? So, you know, you have to seriously look at the question of whether or not you can still do the job even with an accommodation. And if you can't do the job even with an accommodation, then an employer typically is going to have the right to terminate under the Americans with Disabilities Act. Okay. Now, um, in terms of, um, you know, the ADA, Let's uh, remember that um, accommodations are required. So we need to, when we look at this issue of what termination rights the employer has, what accommodations are they providing? Are they being stingy? Are they ignoring you? Um, I would point out that employers have an obligation to engage in a serious discussion with you. It's called the interactive process. And if they're not doing that, they're in essence discriminating against you. Um, one last point I would want to make is uh, I used the phrase solely because of a few minutes ago. You have to think about whether, you know, grounds are being asserted. So in other words, if, if an employee is stealing from the company and then and later goes on FMLA leave, the employer finds out during the leave that the employee was stealing from the company, it's still going to have the right to fire because that termination in that scenario was not because of the person's uh, taking FMLA leave or their serious health condition, it's because they were stealing from the company, at least if they can prove that. So, you know, it, it just depends on how you frame the question, whether or not your employer has the uh, right to fire you. So you and I both know that there are some uh, risk of disability insurance policies that actually require the employee to, uh, or policyholder to attempt to return to work in an accommodated uh, position. Um, what's the interaction, if any, between employment law and uh, accommodations and an ERISA disability policy that says, um, you know, your if your employer offers you accommodated work, you've got to you've got to uh, to uh, attempt that. Well, I you know I have seen that, and I did see that when I was doing a lot of ERISA LTD. I mean, the policy is like a contract. You're going to have to do what the policy requires you to do or you'll have a potential policy defense. You know, it's gonna come back, I think, to what's reasonable under the circumstances. I, I know that's sort of a general answer, but uh, that's in this context what I think is right. So often, of course, what will happen is that at some point in time, the employer is gonna terminate uh, the policyholder simply because uh, their leave is expired, their FMLA is expired, or they just need to fill the position or because the claim has been denied. Um, what, uh, what happens to the employee's group health insurance benefits and life insurance benefits? Right. So as it relates to health insurance, um, employees typically have the right to continue their uh, health coverage under COBRA. Now, COBRA is a federal law that applies to employers employing 20 or more employees. Uh, there, most states, including Florida, have what's known as a mini-COBRA uh, 
provision, which applies to employers employing two to 19 uh, employees. So it's basically this uh, notion and obligation that uh, employers have to provide some, some at least ground floor protection. Uh, but uh, be sure to know that you're gonna have to pay the premiums under COBRA, okay? Now, as far as life insurance is concerned, you need to look at the policy because the policy may provide for conversion rights. And it's very important if the conversion rights uh, have are contained in the life insurance policy that you be informed they exist, all right? Because conversion is this notion that you can, uh, by paying the premium, uh, convert the group life insurance policy to an individual policy. So you and I both know that some policies will have a, a life waiver of premium, LWAP. Uh, and we sometimes get questions about, well, what happens to that LWAP when my employment ends and my group insurance uh, ends? Uh, what happens there from an employment standpoint? Well, when your employment ends, you know, these policies typically will say that your coverage exists only as long as you're an employee. So when you cease becoming an employee, you cease becoming covered, typically. Right. And of course, you and I both know that if an employee or policyholder is terminated and they have a short or long-term disability claim, they don't, they're not going to lose their short or long-term disability coverage because the claim right. arose uh, at a time in which they were employed. So we don't want to leave anybody with the mis. Uh, uh, understanding that they would lose their shorter long-term disability coverage uh, if they were if they were terminated. That's absolutely right, right. You look to when the, uh, the disability, the, the claim, if you will, arose, and if it arose while employment was still in place, then you're absolutely right. Marcus, what are the other questions that our listeners should be asking or thinking about that we haven't covered so far in this podcast? You know, I think one question to consider is what can an employee do if he or she thinks that they are in fact a victim of discrimination? You know, my advice to folks is consult with a lawyer, all right? You know, there may be a number of things you should consider doing. You may well want to document what's going on. Uh, you, you may need to send emails or correspondence documenting uh, your concerns and put them on notice because one of the important aspects of employment law, which we just don't have time to talk about here, but I'll just kind of put it out there, is this notion of retaliation, that you should not be uh, retaliated against for making a legitimate claim for discrimination. And retaliation is an entirely separate cause of action, to use lawyer speak, or basis to sue, to use a more lay sort of term. So I, for example, have a case right now with a financial planner who is uh, on his uh, disability claim. He's on short-term disability, will be transitioning to long-term disability. Uh, and because he's not working his full-time hours or covering the number of cases he needs to cover, the employer is saying, we're going to change your commission and pay structure. In fact, we're going to claw back some bonuses that you took uh, that you were eligible for because of your disability claim. Now, you and I would agree, would we not, that that would be a potential retaliatory uh, claim uh, against the employer? Yes. And, and you know, we've talked a little bit about ERISA and we talked a little bit about retaliation. Let's kind of marry the two. There's a um, clause, there's a section, if you will, under ERISA that prohibits mm -hmm. uh, retaliating against employees or, or coercing employees 
solely because they are, you know, taking advantage of very, very employment benefits they've been afforded from the beginning. And so um, obviously I've referred him to an employment uh, lawyer in, in the Texas where he lives. But those are some examples of uh, uh, retaliatory actions taken by an employer in conjunction with a disability claim. Can you think of any others that our clients should think about and recognize as potential uh, retaliatory uh, uh, causes of action? You know, I'm going to tell you a recent development in the law is the notion of retaliatory hostile work environment. Now, this is a cutting edge concept uh, and, and um, it just really has sort of been developed uh, over the past year in the 11th Circuit, the 11th Circuit being the uh, federal appeals court that governs Florida. And th that's this idea that if one is being belittled at work, one is getting harsh comments, if one is being told that they no longer have any kind of chance for a future in the company, that alone could be under the most recent case law, a separate basis for suit. So you, you and I, of course, have had cases where uh, our clients have been working, they're disabled, they're doing the best they can. Now they're starting to get bad performance reviews, they're getting written up, uh, and the environment's getting a little mean and nasty. Uh, is that the kind of circumstance that the, this case law contemplates? Right. It absolutely does contemplate that. And, you know, one of the, the strategies that may need to uh, be employed in this situation is the filing of an EEOC charge. You know, in a scenario where one is still working and perhaps on partial disability, you know, I don't get too granular with the situation, but if one is being harassed, um, it's, it's a situation where one might want to consider filing an EEOC charge with, with the EEOC, just we're clear about as the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, alleging that one is being discriminated against on the basis of their disability. All right. So I mean, we have to look at each circumstance, but, but that again is part of the toolkit. So how do you uh, suggest that people find the right employment attorney for them? Because obviously um, you and I make recommendations to attorneys or for attorneys every day. But um, generally, what's the key to finding the right employment attorney uh, for a, a case? Well, one thing I would suggest folks do if they're looking for an employment lawyer is to go on the Florida Bar website and look specifically for an attorney board certified in labor and employment law. And the reason I'm suggesting that is because the process of becoming a board certified attorney is pretty, pretty arduous. You have to pass a um, written examination. You have to go through peer review. You have to show your experience in employment law over a span of at least five years. And, and so, you know, by definition, you have to go through a gauntlet to even get that. Uh, so, and I don't mean to uh, say here that there are bad or unqualified uh, attorneys in the employment law realm who are not board certified. But it's just kind of an easy way to find attorneys who've, you know, shown expertise and demonstrated through a test and the other things I talked about. Well, I want to give a shout out to Marcus because not only is he board certified, but he taught for many years in the board certification process for, for lawyers. Um, most employment lawyers will charge an upfront fee for a consultation. Is that correct? Uh, it kind of it varies. Uh, typically, yes, you will see some sort of consult. It varies with the firm. I don't want to over over generalize, but uh, you know, generally, some sort of, of, of consultation fee is, is typical. 
so how would you suggest that a person who has a disability insurance claim who's thinking about consulting uh, with a, an employment lawyer um, go about um, having a, a concise um, consultation? In other words, you and I both know uh, that the uh, understanding the facts are very important uh, and people want to tell their story, but sometimes the story doesn't help us with the employment law question. Well, you know, I mean, I often tell folks, write up a synopsis. Give me an exact summary, right? Give me an exact summary with a timeline and then give me a cast of characters. Tell me who's going to support your uh, your story and what exactly you're going to say, right? Because that format gets me to where I'm questions, right? And get more of a story rather than trying to pry the story out of you. Great. If that makes so, sense. Um, Obviously, you are my go-to employment lawyer in uh, the Tampa Bay, Florida area, and I rarely send you cases. But how can people reach out to you uh, if they want to ask you any questions about their employment law case uh, as it relates to um, their disability claim? Well, I'm going to give you two ways to reach us. Uh, the easy way is to call us at my office number, which is 727 535 4544 and again, I'll say that 727-535-4544. Or you can go to our website, which is www.haas, that's H-A-A-S hyphen Castillo, C-A-S-T-I-L-L-O.com. And there you'll find uh, some useful information, some eBooks and some other, uh, you know, web uh, features that, that may answer some basic questions for you, but at least we'll be a portal to, to inquire. So in closing, any final comments you have to uh, our audience uh, who are obviously people who are have disability insurance claims and are dealing with employment law issues? Well, no, I, I think you covered the waterfront, but I would just say that, um, you know, to those of you listening who may be on the fence about even uh, you know, hiring a disability insurance lawyer that you could not find anyone finer than Nancy. You know, Nancy and I have had the chance to work together over a long period of time. So, you know, said some kind things to me in this podcast, and I would just leap to say the same thing about you, that you are an accomplished litigator and do very well for your clients. Well, thank you. And, and uh, you and I are always a great team, and uh, I enjoy working with you and your expertise that you bring to my clients. So thanks for this great information, Marcus, and taking the time to talk with us. Um, if you like this podcast, consider liking our page, leaving a review or sharing it with your family or friends. And remember, our podcast comes out weekly. So stay tuned for our uh, next week's episode of Winning Isn't Easy. Thanks. <laughs>